when we have a discussion about being great, I have to mention boxer Muhammad Ali, a man who would constantly say, I am the greatest, and then he'd back it up. When he was older, Muhammad Ali did an interview with Mike Tyson, who was the current undefeated heavyweight champion. He did this on the Arsenio Hall show. The question given was, who would win, Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali in his prime? Mike Tyson rightly and humbly said, I'm not even going to go there. But Ali mentioned several things that he did better than Tyson. He said, I was a dancer. I wasn't as powerful, but I was so fast. But if he hit me, and then he pretended to be knocked out. Mike Tyson was a great boxer, not just because of natural strength, but because he listened to and obeyed what his trainers, Cuz D'Amato and Kevin Rooney, told him to do. Tyson's life got crazy as he had so much money at a young age and his marriage with Robin Givens was abusive. He was distracted instead of being obedient. And he had his first boxing loss during this time to Buster Douglas, who was supposed to just be a warm-up fight before Tyson fought Evander Holyfield. A great boxer may be someone who follows a great trainer. Great people are ordinary people who obediently follow Jesus without distraction. Obedience versus distraction is something we see in the story of Peter walking on the water to Jesus. Peter was an ordinary person who walked on water. And Peter was an ordinary person who got distracted. In this case, the difference between doing something great and drowning in a lake is obedience. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Peter was a sinful man, but Jesus still called him. Peter was a family man who invited other people into God's family. And today we'll see Peter was an obedient man who walks with Jesus. Let's read the story in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, that's Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea, very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. What does it take to be obedient? Well, first, I have to have courage. It was Jesus who commanded the disciples to get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples ended up in a storm, unable to make it to the other side. 
but they are right where they are supposed to be. It was Jesus who sent them in the boat. Our parallel passage in Mark 6:48 says that Jesus can see them from where he is praying. So they are never out of view of Jesus. When he sees they are struggling, Jesus comes to them. But Jesus doesn't always arrive like people expect. Jesus didn't get a second boat. He just walks three or four miles, according to John 6:19. Walks on the water in this stormy great lake. Walking at a brisk pace is about three miles per hour. Jesus is probably a fit guy, but the water is stormy, so let's guess it takes him 60 to 90 minutes to walk out to the boat. It's nighttime to very early in the morning, 3 to 6 a.m., still dark. The disciples are tired from rowing all night in the storm, and they are concerned that they might drown out there. Then, for maybe over an hour, they see what they think is a phantom walking toward their boat. The word phantom is used in other Greek writings, and it means a spirit look-alike meant to deceive. This means that they do recognize the appearance as Jesus, but they don't think that it's really Jesus. It's a trick to get them to do the wrong thing. Now they're not worried about the storm anymore. They're worried about being tricked by the phantom. I can imagine, it's getting closer. Row, row away from the phantom. Jesus recognizes their fear and immediately says to them three things. Have courage. I am. Do not fear. The first and last phrases are opposites. Have courage and don't fear. He's not saying that they're not in a scary situation, but they can still take obedient action in that situation. They need to continue doing what Jesus tells them to do. With his middle phrase, Jesus is identifying himself and giving them the reason why they can have courage and not fear. I am. In those two words, Jesus gives two identifications. First, he's saying, I am Jesus. I'm not a phantom here to trick you. I'm the real Jesus. Secondly, he's claiming the title, I am, which is the very name of God. I am is the name God gives to Moses in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. And it's the same phrasing Jesus uses in John 8:58 when he says to the Jews, Before Abraham was, I am. The Jews recognized that Jesus was claiming divinity in that statement because they were going to stone him for saying it. So Jesus' words to his disciples are, Have courage, don't fear. God is with you in me. When we generally talk about courage today, we define it maybe something like this. Doing the right thing despite my fear. I think that's a correct definition, but courageous obedience has a slightly different angle. If I see a child in danger and I put my life in harm's way to try and save the child, people might call that courageous. If I stand firm in a principle I believe in against the tide of people telling me something different, people may call me courageous. But these actions are all based on what I think is right. I'm choosing to do something as opposed to someone else telling me, hey, you go save that child. Courageous obedience is when I take the action or stand that someone else says is right. In this case, God. Real courage is when an ordinary person can honestly say, I have no reason to do this other than God tells me to. But based on the character of God, not my opinion, not the odds, not what culture believes, 
But God, who does not lie and who is righteous, God who knows the past, present, and future, and who promises to be with me till the end of time, because of that, I'm going to obey, even if God says, get into a boat and sail into a storm. It's just as God told Joshua. Four times in Joshua 1, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. The two times in Joshua 1, 6, and 7, God says this, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give to them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. Here God ties courage directly to obedience, leading the people to inherit the promised land, and to obeying the covenant law God gave to Moses. My friend Steve and I recently had a conversation about receiving emails from people where in their signature after their name, people put their preferred pronouns. We had looked it up and found that that way of signing is to show support for transgender rights. Neither Steve nor I hate people who identify as transgender, but we have different views on transgenderism than the people promoting pronoun identification. Our views are based on the Bible and science. So we both chose not to put our pronouns after our signatures. The day after Steve and I had our conversation, I received an email from Tubman, um, a nonprofit organization of which I'm on the board of directors. And it asked me and all the board members to please provide a phonetic pronunciation of our name and our preferred pronouns so that the organization's website could be updated. I replied with the phonetic pronunciation of my name and said that I would not like to have my pronouns placed after my name. I didn't feel particularly courageous when I replied, but I may be rowing into a storm. I'm okay with that because I'm being obedient. The storm that Jesus tells me to row into might not be the same storm that Jesus commands someone else to row into. We're in the same society perhaps, unless you're watching from another country, but we're dealing with different people and different situations. At some point, following Jesus is going to require courage, and I have to be ready, which leads to our next point. To be obedient, I have to have courage and come when called. Peter hears Jesus' call for courage, so he asks to be further obedient. Basically, he's saying, if what you say is true, then command me to walk on the water. This is truly an act of courage by Peter, because if this isn't Jesus, but a phantom, he's letting himself be the test case. If Peter gets out of the boat and it's a deception, he will drown. But the other disciples will know not to listen to the phantom. If it really is Jesus, and Jesus really is God, then ordinary Peter will do something great by his obedience, Peter will walk on water. Jesus calls Peter to come, and Peter obeys. Peter walks on the water towards Jesus. He came when he was called. Calling is something I've been correcting myself lately with my daughters. When I call them, I want them to willingly and happily come. So I've learned I have to make sure that I call them for more than just work or because they are in trouble. 
this is something I realized just while I was working on this sermon. I want my children to expect a blessing every time I call them, even if I do happen to be calling them for work or discipline, because that's how Jesus calls. I think there are two primary calls from Jesus. First is the call to faith. Jesus calls me to forgiveness for my disobedience and to a new life. That first call is symbolized in the Lord's table, where we remember that Jesus sacrificed his body and his blood for the forgiveness of my disobedience and to make a new covenant relationship between me and God. Second is the call to obedience. Once I have a new life because of faith in Jesus, I'm supposed to walk in it, live by it. This is symbolized in baptism, where I am dead to my old life, washed and raised into a new life. This change of life is part of the theme of 1 John, which I'll summarize a few verses from. 1 John 3, 5 says, Jesus was revealed to take away sins, and everyone who knows him will not continually practice sin. In fact, instead of practicing sin, 1 John 3, 3 and 2, 6 says, The follower of Jesus purifies himself and then lives in a manner just as Jesus lived. That's what Jesus calls me to. To be obedient, I have to have courage, come when called, and cry out. Here's where we get to distraction. Peter has been obedient. He got into the boat with the other disciples to row across the water when Jesus told them to. They got stuck and couldn't make it, but they were doing what Jesus told them to do. Jesus comes to them on the water and commands Peter to have courage and get out of the boat. Peter obeys and gets out of the boat. In the middle of being obedient, Peter is distracted. He had been so worried about the phantom that he had forgotten about the storm. Now that he's sure it's Jesus out there and not a phantom, he remembers he's still in a storm. And in his courageous obedience, he's now standing on water, breaking the laws of physics. In his fear, he forgets that I am is the one who created the rules and the laws of physics. But he doesn't forget that it's also I am who saves. He cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately grabs his hand and saves him. I don't think Jesus is rebuking Peter when he asks, why did you doubt? Or actually, you have little faith. It sounds to me like a parent teaching a child how to ride a bike. You know, I remember this as a child. I'm riding the bike all by myself. I just didn't know it because my mom or dad was running alongside. Once I realized that I wasn't being held onto, I would freak out and fall. But my parents would say, you were doing it. That's what Peter maybe, or excuse me, what Jesus might be saying to Peter. Because remember, Jesus said the faith the size of a mustard seed moves mountains. So it's not an insult to say you have little faith. It says, Peter, you man of obedient faith, you were doing it. You just got distracted. But you had enough sense to cry out when you started to sink. The real question of lack of faith is, why did Peter and the other disciples wait so long to cry out for help? Depending on what time sunset was and what time in the morning Jesus arrived at the boat, the disciples had been trying to cross the Sea of Galilee anywhere from 6 to 12 hours before someone cried out for help. 
Only half the guys in the boat are fishermen, but they're all just struggling trying to make it. When one of them finally does cry out, Jesus saves. And they all recognize Jesus as the Son of God with their worship. Jesus doesn't just save Peter. Mark and John tell us that the storm stops and they are immediately transported to their destination on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. One of the things we all need in life is help. But people might not know I need help unless I ask, and ask in the right way. We've recently reminded people to support our missionaries. Giving tithes, offerings, and gifts for the regular operating expenses of the church is something that I as a Christian can do out of obedience. But when I ask all of us for help, I'm not asking for anyone to simply support my lifestyle or enable someone else to live in another country. I'm sure many of us would like to have someone else pay for us to live in another country for a while. That's not what helping is about. We have people in countries that are themselves training other Christians to share Jesus, like in Muslim areas. That work transforms lives, communities, and the world, as well as eternity. We have people working in schools that train Christian healthcare workers and teach refugees that would otherwise get no education. That's work that transforms the lives and economics of families and countries as well as eternity. We work with people locally that help families move out of poverty, strengthen their family relationships, and share Jesus. That's why we ask for help with faith promise offerings. You know, I can't be too afraid or too busy or too proud to ask for help from other people, especially asking for help from Jesus. If I want my body and soul saved for all time, all I need to say in faith is this short version is the same thing as Peter. Lord, save me. And to be obedient, I must remember that when someone else cries out, help me, maybe Jesus wants me to be the hand to grab someone to keep them from drowning. Asking for help is part of obedience. It's in the model prayer that the Lord Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, uh, 11-13, where he said, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All that is asking God for help. I want to end by being as honest as I can about obedience to Jesus. On the one hand, I've met plenty of people who seem ready to try anything except obedience to God to make their life better. In a godless world, being disobedient to God may get a person by for a while, even though I know that in the end, God will bring everyone to a reckoning. For people in a place where, in life where they need help, we Christians rightly say, Jesus wants to save everyone. And in addition to eternal salvation, one of the everyday practical ways Jesus saves is getting me to change my behavior in obedience to God. However, I'm also not going to pretend that obedience to God is an automatic and quick fix to all of life's problems. There's a reason why obedience to God is tied to courage. Remember, Peter was being totally obedient through the whole story we read today. But he still couldn't get the boat to the other side without a miracle. Peter got out of the boat when commanded and walked on the water for a while. But then he started to sink. Obedience to God means God will get me through 
every circumstance. It doesn't mean that everything I do will be a success. Just because I'm only able to row into the storm doesn't mean I wasn't doing God's will. Just because I didn't walk on water all the way to shore doesn't mean I wasn't doing God's will. See, a great person is an ordinary person who obeys Jesus regardless of the short-term outcome. So have courage. Don't fear. I am. Great people are ordinary people who follow Jesus. Now let's pray from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted you, and you rescued them. They cried out and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. So, Lord, today we cry out, help us to courageously obey you, going wherever you call us to go and do your will, so that your kingdom come and your will be will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Now today I would like to leave you with this blessing. May the Lord remember us and bless us, for he blesses all those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike.